Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Anoush. And I'm Ben. And on today's episode of the New Statesman podcast, we're talking all about voter ID. The local elections in May are going to be the first time that voters across the country are going to need to show a form of photo ID to cast their vote. This follows a law passed last year and some pilots that we'll talk about in a bit. But I kind of want to start with how we got to this point, because Britain has never really had a culture of voter ID. These laws are a really long time coming. The government first announced that it was going to do it way back in 2017 in the Theresa May era. This followed a report in 2016, which had some recommendations in it, which was itself the result of an an inquiry into the 2015 elections or some elections that took place then in, in Tower Hamlets, where voter fraud was an issue. And that's how we got to the point of this solution being tried and imposed. Anoush, can you start by explaining what happened in 2015 and what it was that the government and people who care about sort of faith in in democracy and elections were worried about? Yeah, so in 2014, there was a mayoral contest in Tower Hamlets, borough in East London, and it was declared void due to electoral fraud. So the person who was running for mayor, Lutfi Rahman, who is currently the mayor, couldn't be mayor. And what happened there was that the judgment found that there were people pretending to be other people at the polling station, people casting votes from false addresses, bribery, sort of religious influence. So suggesting that if you were a Muslim, then you should vote for this particular candidate. And all of these things were against electoral rules. But the problem with this is that it's been used as a justification for the voter ID laws ever since that time under David Cameron back then. But actually, if you look at the details, there was very little of what what's called personation. So that's the act of impersonating someone at the polling station and voting more than once, basically. It actually wasn't really that. And those cases were found to be statistically irrelevant in this particular scandal. There was obvious evidence of postal voter fraud, but actually postal voters don't need ID to vote in the elections under voter ID. So actually, if you look at the way that these laws are shaped and are going to apply they don't really necessarily actually respond to the Tower Hamlets case and potentially wouldn't even stop something like that happening again. So then you have to question why are they bringing these in the way that they are? So essentially there was an example of voter fraud done in various ways and then there was a report done about how 
you could stop that happening again. And somehow the one recommendation that they have moved forward with is a recommendation that wouldn't have stopped the type of voter fraud that the report was initially looking into. Yeah, I think it was found that there were only about 100 people who pretended to be someone else at a polling station during the Tower Hamlets mayoral vote that we've just been talking about, which wouldn't have had an impact on the result, really. And there were, I don't think there were any convictions for that either. The government has said that we need these laws to combat election fraud. In terms of elections more generally, like outside of Tower Hamlets, how big of an issue is election fraud? It's not an issue. <laughs> it's not much of an issue, really. You Google election fraud UK and you get more coverage of the response to election fraud than actual instances of election fraud. I was speaking to a, an officer, uh, shouldn't be named, of a council of around 300,000 people. They've been in their role for about a decade now. And I asked them, how many instances of electoral fraud have you had? And he said he checked the records and he found, um, was quite comical, one case of electoral fraud over 10 years for a population of 300,000 people. And the case was the son of Mrs. Muggins trying to vote on her behalf because she was too disabled to come out to vote. That was the case of electoral fraud in this local authority area. It's not as big as people think. It's a very small issue. And to be honest with you, the voter anxiety is next to non-existent. The report that triggered this push for voter ID. Voter ID, by the way, I was check checking the polling just now. There was a poll which was asked, do you support it? And most Brits do. It is 61% who support bringing in voter ID, 26% against. We are, let's be honest, quite an authoritarian nation when it comes to issues like this. You know, uh, ID cards, it was quite popular, even though it wasn't popular in Parliament back in 2006, was it? In in, during Charles Clark's time as Home Secretary. The interesting thing is the report that uh, triggered the drive for this in government did a survey of people asking them, like, do you have faith in our democracy? And most people, of course, said yes. And 30, 22% said they don't. 22% said they don't have faith in our democracy. They don't think it's done properly. However, of that 22%, 30, only 37% said they feared fraud. So 8% of the total, so 37% of 22% said they fear for electoral fraud, they fear it's a big problem. So that's 8%. That's 8% of a sample, that's 8% of the population who are fearful of electoral fraud. That's nothing. And that was the rationale, that was the drive, that was the justification to bring this in. It was brought in on total to be a bit flippant, it was brought in on total rubbish, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and it's re it is really rare. Just 181 people were accused of impersonating someone else at the polling station between 2010 and 2018. And in that time, only two people have ever been convicted of that. So it's not some kind of skullduggery. Yeah. I've also got a report here from the Electoral Reform Society from back in 2018. So maybe things have changed since 2018, but they found that surveys of UK poll workers, so the people who actually work in polling stations, found that less than 1% were concerned about electoral fraud at polling stations and that 86% percent of England and Scotland think that voting at the polling stations is safe. So essentially what Ben was saying, that there isn't this widespread anxiety about it either. Yeah. And what some people in this area, like the Electoral Reform Society, are concerned about is that actually just the matter of having this law will make more people lose their faith in the electoral process because the idea that we need to have ID to vote suggests that there must be something that people are doing wrong. Why, why would we need a law if it wasn't yeah. a problem? And so ironically, it could actually degrade trust in the electoral process rather than bolster it. So with all those considerations, 
the government decided to do it anyway. And we're talking about the government. It's actually been successive conservative governments. Yeah, it's been described to me as a David Cameron policy taking shape in a Rishi Sunak era. (laughs) How many prime ministers have we had? (laughs) Depends if you count Liz Truss. But we're pressing ahead with it. They did do some pilot studies in 2018 and 2019 to look into what the impact would be of making people show photo ID and looking at the different types of photo ID that people could use to vote in elections. What do those pilot studies show? They're quite ironic. So during the 2019 pilot, the number of people who were prevented from voting that day because they didn't have the right ID was more than four times the countrywide number who have ever been accused of voter fraud. Wow. And it's on a very local level. Yeah, yeah. These pilots were in certain places during local elections. And then what the 2019 and 2018 pilot showed was that 2% of people who didn't vote in those elections said it was because they didn't have the right ID. So 2% sounds quite low. But if you take 2% of the electorate, a general election, that's nearly a million people. So if a million people are put off from voting, then that is a democratic issue, I think. So it's really difficult to know exactly who doesn't have ID because you can't measure them. But We know that it's a substantial number of people. They may be a minority, but they are people who are legitimately able to cast their vote, who would be prevented from doing so under these rules. What do we know about them demographically in terms of age or background or likelihood of voting for various parties? Ben, I know it's difficult because it's not like we have a list of everyone who's eligible to vote but doesn't have ID, but what kind of demographic trends can we draw from what we do know? It depends on what ID you're talking about. So if you're looking at driving licenses, it's actually older people who don't have, of course, the provisional driving license, it's actually older people who don't really have it. And this is why I make the case that if we do end up with photo ID hanging around till the next general election, probably will, of course it will. I I take the view potentially that older people will miss out more because what photo ID does, let's not forget, is it's asking for behavioural change, okay? Probably if you've lived in your same neighbourhood for X number of years, you probably know where the polling station is because it normally doesn't change unless there's council cuts, unless there's, of course, a school is needed, so on and so forth. So if you're, you're asking, voter ID asks for a behavioural change from people who don't normally bring their ID out to vote. And that's disproportionately older people who probably have their passport stuck at the bottom of a suitcase from 1970. Whereas people of my age, I take ID out almost all the time because uh, pubs and other such form of entertainment, I suppose. So it's pretty common there. Of those who do not really have ID, Yes, it's, it depends on what you're asking about. Like I said, provisional driving license, it's older people. It's disproportionately women as well, which I think is the same for passports. There's another statistic there, which is that it can disproportionately harm ethnic minorities. But then again, you, would, you could also make the point of those who normally vote, it's more disproportionately hurting older women than it is disproportionately hurting ethnic minorities. Turnout among ethnic minorities is normally pretty low. But, and th- this is just another barrier, really. The impact of those who normally vote is older people amongst the general population it's a bit it's a bit all over the place it is young it is old it is ethnic minorities but it is disproportionately women I guess we could be talking about two slightly different things, one of which is who are the people who just physically lack a photo ID because they've never applied for a passport, they don't drive and they don't have one of the other forms of ID that are acceptable because there are a couple of others and they don't have it and they're stuck. The other group of people are people who might have it, but who don't know that they have to bring it because the communications around this change really haven't been that 
great. I don't think I've seen national billboards or adverts on primetime TV saying, by the way, you're going to need ID to vote. And it's worth saying that there is a form of voter ID that you can apply for if you lack passport or a driving license. And it's a way for people to, to get this that's free so they can still vote. That's been very poorly advertised and am I right in thinking that the website didn't really work when they tried to yeah so they tried when, to launch it so these are voter authority certificates so if you don't have the right ID you can apply for this to vote but the problem was that when they did start the public information campaign about how to apply for these the website actually wasn't even up and running by that point so you can imagine if you're someone who first saw one of those adverts went to go and apply and it didn't work are you really going to go back and try again and again all of these things create friction in the process and I think public awareness Ben will probably know more about the figures on this, but I think it is actually fairly high compared to what people were actually expecting. But nevertheless, within electoral administrator returning officers, there are concerns that people will turn up at the polling station and not realise that they needed ID and may even get so frustrated to the point that some local police forces have been basically mobilised to come and try and be on standby in case tensions bubble over. So if that's the extent to which they're preparing for these elections, it shows that there are issues here with the communication to the public. So you went and spoke to some people who work at polling stations about the way they're preparing for these changes? Yeah, I was told anonymously that lots of returning officers are telling their local police forces that they're worried that there's going to be tensions because of voters getting frustrated and angry at the polling station staff. And apparently this is a big conversation that's going on among the people planning these elections. Someone said to me before they'd just take your name and now they're like bouncers. (laughs) So, you know, that's the issue. I mean, that didn't happen in the pilots. So hopefully there won't be any, any abuse or violence, but it is something that is on the Electoral Commission's risk register for returning officers. And the other risk that I think you wrote about was that even if people aren't turned away, it's all going to take longer to vote. And if you only have a kind of half hour before work or on your lunch break to vote, you might turn up and there might be a really long queue and you might not be able to. Yes, exactly. So they definitely expect that it for it to take longer and for there to be queues. Obviously, it's local elections, not that many people turn out, but there still could be queues first thing in the morning when people go and in the lunch break. These are called the crunch times because people are trying to go around their work. Um, and so if you go first thing in the morning, but you need to be at work at 9am and the queue's longer than you expected, you might need to leave that queue and go to work and then you might not get another chance in the day to vote. Same in the lunch break crunch time. The end of the day is not as bad because if you're there by 10, you can vote even if it gets to after. Obviously, you said it's local elections and not that many people vote in local elections. But the plan is that this will be the case at the next general election. And there have been some criticisms, particularly from Labour, that just the process of having voter ID and the forms of ID that are acceptable kind of privilege the people who would normally vote Conservative rather than the people who would vote Labour. So Labour voters are younger and I think there's one example where in London you can show your Freedom Pass, which is something that you get at the age of 60, 65, but you can't show your student Oyster card. So a, a sort of way of taking an ID that an older person might have but that a younger person wouldn't obviously concerns about ethnic minority communities as well and people who maybe don't travel outside the country and don't have a car so don't have those forms of ID but Ben you crunched the numbers on this and you were saying a bit earlier that older people are affected as well do you think that there's a sense that in the next general election this law and the disruption that it will cause the first time we see it in a general election could have as much of an impact on traditional Conservative voters as on traditional Labour voters? 
It could have more of an impact, I suspect, on traditional conservative voters, older conservative voters. I, I take this view for three reasons. The first, like I mentioned, of course, is access to ID. And first of all, access to ID. Elderly people don't really have a passport anymore. The old person's bus pass, they may know, but plenty of elderly people don't use it and actually don't know where they left it. And the second reason is, is do you normally take your ID out with you? If you do, then it doesn't require a significant behavioral change on polling day, okay? Most people of my age, I think at least, do. And the third reason is awareness of this as well. A month or two ago, around about 30-something percent of Britons knew about the need for photo ID. Now it's up to 50%. Are they aware, though, that the local authorities are advertising? You make the point that, is there any advertisements? All I've seen is the one on the back of a bus which was very grotty, which wasn't the best advert on the world. It was pretty poor. Voter awareness of local authority advertisements is like 15 to 20%. All of the polling I'm mentioning, by the way, come from Omnesis, who are a, a new, new polling kid on the block. Who will impact, again, in the general election? I take the view, I think it will pretty much, to be a bit, little bit boring, to, to not exactly say it will hurt one side the most, I think the impact it will have is pretty Pretty low, as you say, if it's just going to be 2%, yes, that, that could amount to as many as a million. But who it's going to hurt in terms of party politics, I think, is probably going to be both sides. You do have older people who are not used to bringing ID out to vote. And then you're having um, younger people voting for the first time, being told by their parents how to vote, but not really being told you've got to bring ID out to vote. Again, it is asking people for behavioural change. And so some people may know myself, I'm standing for council in, in, in May, and I go around neighbourhoods where people have been voting in the same polling station for the best part of 20 years. It's always been this church, it's always been that school hall, it's never changed. But owing to one thing, council cuts and another, the schools and churches not being available, the polling stations are having to change. So residents who used to walk five minutes to get to their polling station are now having to walk 10 or 15. And they're like, oh, do I have to do that, really? Because to, to reiterate, we had a by-election in Chester where I'm living right now in December and telling people, oh, you, d you don't normally, you know, you're not voting now, you've got to vote somewhere else. And they're like, oh, really? So we're asking low attention, broadly apathetic voters, even though they do in the end vote, to pay some extra attention in this size of democracy. And it's just another barrier to a country which, by and large, is not paying that much attention to politics. So in terms of impacts, you do have Labour voters who are more apathetic than Tory out voters. Generally speaking, in local elections, it could be pretty stark. But then again, you, have, you also have the elderly who aren't used to going out with ID anyway. So yeah, I don't think it's necessarily going to hurt either side disproportionately. Of course, we're going to see that on May 4th. After the break, we'll be discussing how voter ID laws fit into a wider trend of the government imposing a papers please culture on British civil liberties. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on the New Statesman app. It's available for both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back in the next couple of minutes. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Wearmouth, featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm really interested in what you said about behaviour change because a government minister, Lee Rowley, was asked about the potential for two million voters essentially not having ID. And he basically said it didn't matter because the two million voters who don't have ID are two million people who might have the right to vote, but they don't. So we don't have to worry about them, which was an odd thing to hear by somebody who is in their position because of democracy, saying that sort of a lack of democracy in some areas doesn't matter. But you're saying that even people who do have it, the simple behavioural change of needing to bring it could disenfranchise them and could change things. And I guess it's worth remembering that the Conservatives often point to lots of other countries across Europe where you do need ID to vote, but you've always needed ID to vote. And also everyone has a a national ID card anyway. So it's a kind of, it's a very different way of measuring what the impact is. Yeah. And this would be the strictest voting sort of regime in non-ID card having countries, because even though Labour tried to bring these amendments, as did some Tory peers as well, you know, you have vouching systems in some countries where someone can come with you. And if you don't have your ID, they can vouch for you if they've got their ID. Or like in America, you can you turn up, you don't have the right ID, so you can't vote, but you can come back the next day. Obviously, we can't have that because we count our votes overnight. The fact that we don't have any of those amendments on this legislation means that it is actually going to probably be the strictest version of this voting process. So it is probably more exclusive than others. It's really interesting what Ben's saying, because I think the perception is that the Tories are trying to rig it for older people because older people are more likely to vote for them and they're also more likely to vote as well. And actually, if you do look at the list on the Electoral Commission's website of people who are most impacted by this, trans and non-binary people are on there because they may have changed their identity and don't have the identification that they need. Disabled people, certain ethnic minorities, like you mentioned, who have low ID ownership, maybe they didn't apply for ID when they arrived in Britain, for example, and homeless people as well. And like those are groups that you might associate as more likely perhaps to vote Labour, perhaps because they talk more about having their interests at heart when they make their policies. It's not true of all ethnic minorities, certainly not all of those groups which are diverse, but you might associate them more as being Labour voters. But also over over 85s are on there, like Ben mentioned. And actually, I was speaking to someone about this who has been talking to a number of people in different parties about the issues of voter ID. And they were saying that actually Tory spads are particularly worried at the moment because it could hit elderly women, like Ben mentioned, who don't have ID. This was described to me as the wives of majors the wives of majors whose husbands do all the driving and sort out all the paperwork. So quite sexist there, but there is a slant that suggests that elderly women could be more impacted. The last thing that I just want to bring up with this is it's a very specific law that's about elections and, and how people can vote. But I think we should see it a little bit in the context of some other things that are going on with the government legislating to restrict rights and freedoms that we didn't really think about. When I was interviewing Jodie Beck from Liberty, which is the organisation that looks at human rights and civil liberties, she put voter ID in the same basket of legislation as things like all the protest laws that we've covered, the police crime sentencing and courts bill and the public order bill that would do things like make it illegal to wander past a protest with a bike lock or 
give police the powers to shut down a protest if it's too noisy. So there's that element of it. There's the anti-strike legislation that Rishi Sunak has been quite keen on. This idea that if rail workers and nurses are going on strike because of pay, you can just legislate to mean that it's illegal for them to go on strike. And, and that that's a more practical answer than actually sitting around the table and negotiating. And I don't want to get too catastrophizing about it, but there is this kind of sense that things that we took for granted, the fact that in Britain we don't have a papers please culture, we don't Mm. have national ID cards, we do have a sort of strong history and culture of civil liberties. Over the last couple of years, we are seeing that being chipped away and there are always those who make the argument that we need to do this to keep our streets safe or to keep the country running or to safeguard the integrity of our elections. But if you look at the evidence for what they're doing, it just isn't there. Yeah, people will say this kind of policy is un-British. I don't even know if that's true anymore because of all of the things that you've listed. We had some of the strictest lockdowns as well that people forget. So, you know, maybe we are a country that our impulse underneath it all is for a papers please culture. Maybe that's an anachronistic view of Britain that we're not like that anymore. Anush and Ben, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Rachel Cunliffe, and my colleagues Anoush Shekelian and Ben Walker. We'll be back on Thursday discussing the week in politics. Follow us on your podcast app to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they're released. You can also watch the video from this podcast on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for The New Statesman. We're produced by Mae Robson. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together, we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.